I promised you a voter. I got you two. Today on the show, Bob Ryan, Jack McCallum. SI for Jack, Boston Globe for Bob. Bob, a more wide view of the league at NBA at 75. Jack dives deep into Stockton Malone. It'll be a little bit of old guy radio uh, in speaking to both of them. But since we don't do that normally on the podcast, I thought it would be good to hear from two legendary reporters on the game that have helped me watch it. I mean, you read anything that Bob has written about the game, and you learn something. So, little old guy radio for you. And Bob loves and appreciates uh, one of the former jazz players, Adrian Dantley, so you'll want to hear that. Let's educate the kids, okay? If you watch the YouTube clips over the weekend, that's your homework. Now you're going to get a little bit more medicine, more broccoli in your food today. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga. This is the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the preferred mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. We'll keep it quick on Sacramento and then get into the guys that I talked to. Sacramento, great win for the Jazz. And if you don't come away impressed about Davion Mitchell, you should. Not only did he have moments against Donovan, he had moments against Jordan Clarkson in the third quarter that stymied the Jazz offense and kept this thing close. They have hope right now. It's early in the season. They're going to want to get wins where they can before things go haywire on, on their season. They're trying right now. And Mitchell showed that. And if you're looking at, at something that I talked to about Bob, box score oddities, one of the box score oddities in this game was the plus-minus for Rudy and Hassan Whiteside. Whiteside with a plus-18, Rudy with a minus-9. How many times are you going to see that? And if you read Andy's triple team in the Tribune, defensive rating with Whiteside on the floor, 63.6. So Whiteside had a clear positive impact, and he gave good minutes for Jazz. All that being said, Rudy had one of the best plays in the entire game where he stifles De'Aaron Fox on a lob to Rashawn Holmes, and then the other side goes for the alley-oop from Royce. Rudy swats it away. Great anticipation by the big man. Bounces Royce. Rudy up top and hammers it home. Oh, it all started with a Gobert on one end. This is like with three minutes to go before Holmes founds out, and they have to go small, and they're still challenging Rudy, and he comes out on top. But Gritty win. They needed it because Joe Ingles wasn't on the floor, and you had to see Mieoni, Jared Butler, Trent Forrest all combine to give that production. Shout out to a former Round Ball Roundup guest, but Trent had a nice stretch where he was making the right pass, making the right basketball decision, and that'll go a long way to keeping him in contention for these minutes. I'm happy for a guy like that. Comes out of Florida State, Chipley, smallest town ever, is now finally making a name for himself in the NBA. He's on a two-way, so he'll get some experience with the Stars as well when he needs more games later on in the year where everybody's healthy, where there aren't these strange ejections that maybe shouldn't be ejections. The refs, unsurprisingly, stuck with a call in the press conference after the game, but that doesn't matter. They had to deal with it. This is the type of adversity that good teams can deal with and can suss out, get done. So keep an eye on how Utah deals with Jokic tomorrow. 
Games on TNT. A lot of national voices will be watching. Be kind, stay offline. As always, let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher. Everywhere you get them, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform. So first I'm going to go with Bob Ryan. A broader view of NBA 75-76. How he approached it because he's a voter for NBA 50 in 96. And he's a voter now. How he approached that, the process that he went through. And then you'll hear from Jack McCallum. He has great things to say about Stockton and Malone. And I wish I brought it up with Jack. We touched on it with Bob, but the international inclusion. That's the one thing that you could see on Tuesday. International players that could potentially make an NBA 100 for the next list. Rudy and Nikola Jokic. Rudy is the best defensive center during his generation. And then Jokic is the best offensive player of the group. The international influence, starting with where McCallum wrote his book, Dream Team, to where we are now, where those players had watched that, grew up with it, and now are some of the best in the game. Dirk being one of them. As a young kid in Germany, seeing those Grateful Dead Lithuania shirts in 92, to seeing Larry and Magic with Michael going insane on the international stage. So for the next list, for if we're projecting out, I expect way more international representation, more than the six that were included on this list. But they're fun. It's meant to be argued. It's meant to be talked about. That's why we do a little old guy radio. Please enjoy Bob Ryan and then SI's Jack McCallum on the podcast. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out at First Colony Mortgage. I am reading a book uh, which is a compilation of the horse racing columns of Damon Runyon. Uh, it's ranging from the early 20s into the 40s. It's, it's called I Got the Horse Right Here, which the title, of course, comes from Guys and Dolls, the opening uh, number tin tin for few horns, few tin horn for yeah. Anyway, tin horn few whatever fugue for tin horns. I'll get it. Anyway, so that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, is that Damon Runyon? Uh, I got the horse right here. Well, I, when I heard that advice, not only did I think, oh, I should be reading sports book. You said no, read the classics, read Hemingway, read other things. And oh, that's, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's what you need to do if if you want to become and sculpt <laughs> and be a communicator in this business. Well, I think that's logical because you want to communicate. You want to have a full vocabulary and a full reservoir of information. And you never know when you're going to tap that little computer and what your brain is, what it is. And, and you know, find out that little nugget that you need at, the, at the, the moment in time. You just don't know when that moment in time is going to be. Let's look at the list. NBA 75, which is actually a 76. You were a voter on NBA 50. Yes. How do you approach a project like this where... You already have 50 players that you had voted for previously, and now that the thing has gotten expanded, where do you start? What's the process of, of voting for something like this? Well, the first, obviously, you, you say to yourself, do we automatically include all 50 and then just find 25 more? Or do you reevaluate 
uh, understand that times change and, and you, you may have had an influx of extraordinary talent and, and, and that there were too many people who uh, date, post-date 1996 that deserve to be on here. And if it happens to be 26 more, that means somebody has to go or 27 or 8, 2, 3, however many. And, um, um, and also you may have disagreed with the original 50. And you may have you may be voting for people a second time that you voted for the first time who did not make it. And I did that and um, on a couple of occasions, at least a couple. So and, you, and then my third, that's number one and two. It's pretty obvious. It's, it's hard. It's, but it's you, you feel very badly about bumping somebody out. Uh, but I had to do it. OK. And I thought you know, I had to do it. I chose to do it uh, very reluctantly. And it took and, and, and I didn't. You know, feel real comfortable about it, except that I just felt I had to do it, and and, um, and I had better candidate. And the third, the second, the th other thing for me was to try to pay proper homage to the most recent guys, that, uh, and and not be wedded to the old guys, and and find the balance. So I may have bent over backwards to include at least one individual that some people think doesn't belong. And that was Damian Lillard. And um, I did put him in there. I just couldn't get away from his numbers, and frankly, and, and his stature. And um, uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, reevaluating the, the old guys again. I, I was very pleasantly surprised that eight members of the original Silver Anniversary team in 1971 have survived. I wouldn't have thought that. And I'm gratified. I'm, I'm glad that the voting body agreed with me uh, to keep that many of those original 10. Uh, there were only 10 guys on the silver team. And then there was, then there was a 30-15, people forget, which was crazy because they only had 11 people. Don't ask me how that worked. I don't <laughs> even know what that, I, I ignored that one because I just don't understand why they come up with an 11. Although here we have 76. Maybe that was the reason. Nobody would, but you know what? We didn't have the kind of information that we now have to know these things. So anyway, that's it. And, uh, I, it was hard. It was it was fun because it was, it's an honor to do it. It was fun to do it, but in the end, it's a nightmare because you know you're going to make you know you you know you're going to make a judgment that's going to be uh, not well received by the people who are excluded. But it's fun. How do you compare across eras where you look at somebody like Dolph Chase, okay, and, yeah. and you're yeah. trying to bring him into a same list that has Steph Curry, two completely different games? Are you looking at impact that they had during their era? the greatest teams of that time, what factors in there? Well, I think you have to acknowledge, all right, we are, no, you'd be an absolute idiot and you wouldn't be deserving of a vote if you didn't understand how the game has evolved. Mm -hmm. And the athleticism, the general athleticism, general, not exclusive. I, I very, get very upset when people think that there are no great athletes of the 60s or even the late 50s that couldn't compete on an athletic basis today. That's, that's that false. But uh, the game has evolved. It's a completely different game. I mean, you know, and so you have to understand that. You acknowledge that. But you also have to pay acknowledge that dominance in an era and 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 maybe other specific things, distinguishing things that made them special um, and, and or that made them um, historically important. A good example of that was Paul Arizon. Now, a lot of people are uh, surprised that Paul Arison is still around and on the list. And I am too, because I didn't think enough people would agree with me that he belongs. And, and my, my tiebreaker, if you will, for my, my, my trump card for him was that um, he was, along with Joe Fulks, 
uh, one of the two early great exponents of the jump shot. Uh, Sharman was in there too, but but uh, Arizon more than anybody, and 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 that believe me, it it showed people that you got to have this thing in the game. Uh, he's just a pioneer. He's historically vital, and and that alone on that basis, I couldn't leave him out. How many international players? can make this next list because if uh, anything I'm looking at the list right now and I see it very international light with the impact of I mean somebody that I'm sure you adored Pau Gasol or even let's say a Yao Ming who could have made this list I voted for Pau Gasol and I uh, I believe that he's a very unappreciated player and uh, he will make the next list uh, you're right Yao there were a lot of people who thought but yeah I thought Yao was not a hundred. He's a hundred and twenty-five to one fifty, maybe right now. Um, oh, we've got, we've got. If we project the careers, uh, I think we can safely say that Luka Doncic and Nikola Jokic will be on the next one, and and there, there'll, be, there'll be, and I'm sure there are others that we don't know about right now who will who will do it. Um, the only two players on the list who work exclusively developed. And, and, and uh, outside the United States are Giannis and uh, Dirk. Gian- Dirk. Oh, and Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki, of course. There are other guys, you know, that you think about. They played college ball here, you know, such as Elijah Wan. And uh, and and so right now we've only got two exclusively, uh, uh, but we'll have more in the next one, that's for sure. And we've got you know got two great, at least two great male players right now, and. and and uh, those two that I mentioned, and we got all these middle European big men, you know, there's, you know, Nurkic, who knows, Nurkic's career path might take him to this list someday, you know, Valencianis, God knows, who knows, all these, you got all these guys, but you definitely have those other two, I don't think anybody would doubt that. Well, and the big controversy with 96, making that list was Shaquille O'Neal having his inclusion Putting a current player where you can project that they will definitely make the list, like Luka or Jokic, uh, would you consider that when you were making your selections? Well, I violently objected to the inclusion of Shaquille O'Neal okay. in 1996. Uh, my, my old friend Peter Vesey uh, was a big proponent of O'Neal and was defending his selection even, uh, I know, this week. Uh, I thought that was way too premature. Now, it's funny, um, you know, you know, the, you, in terms of Anthony DeQuambo has been around a lot longer from people think, and so is Anthony Davis, who I really wavered and, and in the end did not vote for, but understand why anybody did. That was a, a very tough omission. But he's been, he's, been around, he's been around nine years. It just doesn't feel that way. And, um, and ten, this is his 10th season. Wow. I, I, it, it just sneaked up on me. But anyway, um, I think Shaquille was a mistake for 96, frankly. And uh, now it doesn't matter now. He's here now and where he should be. But uh, 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 there's some arbit- – it's arbitrary. You know, I don't, I don't know what, how many years to tell you. There's a guy – obviously, uh, I, I didn't even consider voting for – this is not just going to be his third year or fourth. I forget. Um, same with Jokic. Uh, you know, but they're going to be there. But no, I, I, I wouldn't consider them. I just don't think it's long enough of a body of work that they, they should be considered. But where the cutoff is, I don't know. I can't tell you, <laughs> but I know that they don't fulfill it. <laughs> and Giannis definitely helped his case with a, a ring over the summer, I'm sure. Yeah. Did you know? Here's one. Now, here's an interesting thing nobody's talked about yet that I know of. I'm sure I shouldn't say that. You, you may have talked about it yourself. The composition of the voting body is very interesting. And, and, and it, it concludes a lot of players, past and present. 
including Giannis. With, with all due respect, yeah. <laughs> comma, and you know that's always a loaded phrase that we mm -hmm. all know, right? You know where, where we're going with this one. With all due respect, comma, huh? <laughs> now, I, you, you I must, uh, we have to assume someone filled out the ballot. Uh, oh, in general. Here's a young man, admittedly very bright and, and obviously greatly skilled, who first came to the United States, was born and raised in Athens, came to the United States less than a decade, about a decade ago. And you're telling me he's conversant in, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, maybe the 90s a little. And he should be eligible to vote? I don't understand that. Right. Frankly. Now, that's one guy out of 88. So, um, you know, but that one jumped out at me. Everybody else I'm not going to quarrel with. Steph Curry deserves a vote. Michael Jordan's got a vote. Charles Blackley voted. Clyde Drexler voted. I mean, I can go on and on. And, uh, uh, and then, of course, on the, on the female side, uh, uh, Carl Blaskowski voted. She deserved a vote. And uh, that's fine. Sue but, Bird. I mean, um, Sue Bird. Yes. Damn, why not? But uh, to Quambo? I, I got to figure, and you know that as well as I do, we all know how the SIDs fill out the ballots. Yeah. Coaches on. Yep. And I think yeah, obviously somebody helped Giannis at least a little bit, wouldn't you think? I would hope so. Uh, that's you, for sure. If Giannis can tell me all about about um, uh, Dolph Shays, then I'd be very impressed. Maybe he spent a lot of time on YouTube just looking up Bob Cousy highlights to understand. You, know what? you may be right, and I may be wrong, and I'd be, I would be happily contradicted if that were the case. I, I will say the one thing that has been great about this entire list, and everybody likes talking about a list, discussing, debating, I have been going down YouTube rabbit holes of – players that I, really? I didn't have a chance to watch. Earl the Pearl was okay. was one yeah, that I looked up. Yep, okay. Earl the Pearl was uh, it's funny cuz uh, the best the best landlocked player of 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 the last 35 or 40 years cuz everything he did was on the ground. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, yeah, unlike a lot of, all, all the other great little guys, you know, that of our time that could do stuff in the air and you know, he he did it all on the ground. He the master of the spin move and, but they, it was it was a uh, nobody's no guards had spinorama going for the more than better than Earl Monroe. But he did it all on the ground, which I love. And I'll be honest with you, if you just look at numbers, like am I terribly impressed by Bob Cousy? No, I'm not. If I'm just looking at numbers, you look at the clips, and nobody's playing like him. Nobody's going behind the back like him. Nobody's electrifying the game to the degree that he's playing it at that moment. No, he he was he's the he is the godfather of all point guards. The concept of the point guard, the concept of the the orchestrator, the the the, the conductor, the distributor. There's the word. Uh, is is basically it begins in that he he perfected that concept, and he is the godfather of all the point guards to follow. And uh, you know his assist totals speak to themselves. Um, his shooting percentages reflect the year he played in. You know he never shot forty percent. Um, uh, and uh, that's the game was different and uh, volume shots, you know, but uh, it's evolved. And obviously the shooting is, is in, in, immeasurably better, but some other aspects, you know, some of the passes that he made and the, and the, and the things that he brought to the game have only been equaled, but never surpassed. Pistol Pete Maravich is former jazz man, obviously in the big marketing push when they moved from New Orleans to Utah, very divisive player in his time. What, did you make of his inclusion in the list? Well, I voted for him. And, and I think it's hard to get around any, any discussion of basketball history without talking about Pete Maravich. Now, one of the complicating, not complicating, one, you know, the, in the, your, your mind always 
it can't leave his college career out of out of it in your head. It's hard to do that. Um, you can't do that. Um, same with Walton. We can talk about him too. But uh, Maravich is uh, plus his court vision was enormous. His passing is legendary, um, and he just had a flair. He had a pizzazz. He he brought something to the game. The original question about what kind of criteria. Uh, in a couple of cases, that that to me is a very important part of the deal that they brought something special to the game, uh, um, a, a, a skill, a single skill. For example, Wes Unsold's outlet passing. There's right. nobody like him today. Right. We have, we're down to, we're down to, on this earth. We got one outlet passer taking a breath uh, with a, in, a, in a uniform right now. And that's Kevin Love. Yep. There's nobody that nobody throws the outlet passes. That, 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 that Wes Unsold was along with Russell and nobody threw a two head overhand outlet pass like Wes Unsold. And and uh, those of us who saw him play will never forget it. And and, and I, I think he was an easy selection for a lot of us. Well, and Jokic has sometimes when he's making an outlet yeah. pass, when yep. he's not Jok- taking Jokic. the the ball up the floor for himself. You got right, Jokic. I I, I should include him absolutely. He's he's the best passing center since Bill Walton. He's the best. He's absolutely amazing passing center. He had that one to Michael Porter Jr. in the corner this weekend, <laughs> and it was fizzed across the court. Yeah, I say, he's he's definitely an inclusion. I, I will certainly say he's the master right now. Is there anyone else that you think is as underappreciated on this 76 list? Uh, oh, on the list. On the list, yeah. Um, there's criticism in some quarters of Willis Reed. Uh, and, and the only one that I think would be valid is your career wasn't as long as it was about 10 years and he quit uh, injury riddled and he started out his career playing the wrong position because he was a forward until he got traded to the, and he was, he was a good one, but he got traded to the Knicks and then got to play center where he belonged. I don't think people appreciate how great Willis Reed was in, in, in a, for about a five or six year period enough that some people don't appreciate him. There's Warren. Um, there've been a couple, um, you know, uh, I'm glad Walton made it because people, you know, granted, uh, Walton is the great what if. Walton, Walton is the greatest mm-hmm. what if of all time. Um, you know, my opinion on Walton, I've said this a thousand times, his best was my mind was the best. In other words, I, if I got to take one center for one game and I got to win to defend the earth against the universe, against an invader from the universe, or else we're going to go into servitude for all eternity, uh, the center is Bill Walton. It is not Russell. It is not Chamberlain. It is not Kareem. It is Bill Walton. His round, all around game. Uh, you build, you run your offense to him. You run your defense to him, and at, a, at the highest level possible. Um, but uh, the injuries cut his career short. His injuries reduced his career in the NBA woefully. And, uh, and I'm so glad that people, enough people, appreciate to, to, to keep him on the team. How great he was, and 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 yet I must admit, uh, he's the he's the greatest what if of all time. There isn't any question that if he stays healthy, the Trailblazers stay intact, and and they win multiple championships, not just that one. I love this game that you play, the game against the aliens for uh, servitude. Fill it out. What's the rest of that that team like right now? Well, starting starting five is is um, uh, the forwards are Larry and Matt and, and Michael, and the, and the and the guards still remain Michael. I mean Larry and LeBron, and and the forward, and the guards remain Michael and Magic. That's an easy call. Uh, and then the uh, and, and on the first, that's an easy call for the starting five. I don't see how anybody can. Argue. I don't see how anybody can reasonably argue. If you, I, I know nobody buys my Walton argument, but I'm talking about the other four. You've got to be kidding me that you don't think that's the other four. What separated Michael from his peers during the '90s? The complete, complete package. The complete package. 
even if you threaten, uh, you could make a case that someone was close to him in the athleticism or close to him in, in, in the intelligence and the, and the floor game savvy or close to him in the two way, the two way uh, ability, you know, that he, he belongs in the all defensive team as well as any, any, uh, um, you know, any, any other team, you, you, you don't have the competitiveness of Michael Jordan and to go with everything else. He was the complete, complete package. Um, the closest thing, Kobe, Kobe is, is Michael light. I mean, uh, he, he is the, in, in that competitive thing, he's the closest, but you're not taking Kobe over Michael. If you only got one to take, I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy. I'm sorry. Uh, and, uh, but he's the closest thing. So Michael's the complete package and, and, you know, then, you know, the other great, you know, Michael, competitor for GOAT is LeBron and, and LeBron's a better passer. LeBron's a better rebounder. Um, but, you know, now we come to that other factor. Give me a break. You know, um, it, it's not, it's not even a contest. So um, that, that's the trump card with Michael, even though LeBron actually has more skill, more things on the court going for him uh, than, than Michael. Uh, I want Michael for my life. Not LeBron. Not anybody, uh, uh, you know, that's for sure. On one thing people can't understand is how ubiquitous Michael Jordan was in the 90s. Everybody knew who he was. He was on Oprah. He was traveling the world and getting accosted in Barcelona when he goes with the dream team. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's nothing that can match that right now with how splintered media is, mm -hmm. everything. LeBron just can't touch that side of the the thing with Michael. Although he's he's, he's trying, he is. He, <laughs> he'll do his there. hardest. I mean, no, he's he does. No, he's he's very entrepreneurial minded, and he's he's. Yeah, you're right. The world was different. I I think that the the, the turning point that that put Michael thrust Michael and took him from just being great player into being celeb was, and he owes it to Spike Lee for the commercial, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, the shoes. It, it, it must have been the shoes. Uh, you know, uh, uh, that that commercial uh, was was a and it was a landmark for uh, for all of them. And and that did it. Uh, that, that transported Michael out of, uh, out of uh, just uh, athletic uh, athletics notoriety into legitimate celebrity. You voted for Adrian Dantley. Uh, I did. W why did you vote for him? Because he's one of the handful of greatest scoring machines that's ever drawn a breath in the history of this earth. He was an incredible overachiever at six, three and a half from high school at DeMatha through Notre Dame, through all the teams he played for, average as many as 31 points a game in the NBA as a six, three and a half small forward. Now, his, his moxie, his inventiveness, his creativity uh, with the ball in his hands and his active basket primarily, but not exclusively, is, is unmatched in the three of this game. And, and uh, he was a large player. He won a great defensive player, that's for sure. But uh, I think he's the, a phenomenon treasure, and I, I think that any list, nobody like him. And that's why I speak about earlier. When you can find guys who are at an extremely high level, and there ain't nobody like him that you could compare him to, who's, who's another Adrian Daly? You kidding? There is no other Adrian Daly. It's like Mikhail. We haven't seen another Mikhail since he retired. And and uh, you know that uh, certain guys just bring that mark that they have that 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 special quality. And so uh, I'm a, I'm a big Adrian Daly fan. I think he's. You he asked me that question earlier about who's unappreciated, and I mentioned Willis Reed. Well. By not making this team, I think Adrian Dantley is. I'm not going to throw a fit in a tantrum and storm Barclays Center. No, but uh, uh, it's not that bad. You know, we all have opinions. But for me, he's a, he's a no-brainer. And the Adrian Dantley box score? 
uh, a, the Dream 92846. Yep. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that is the Dantley box score. Now, hey, I learned something. And now if you mention that, I'm, I'm going to throw this in gratuitously. We were talking about Dolph Shays earlier, and I've always been fascinated with the idea that Dolph Shays is the only guy in the Hall of Fame and probably in the history of the game of any consequence, not some guy who had five games, who had who had more free throws made than field goals. And in the course of my research, I said, you know, there's another guy. I better look him up just for the hell of it. I wonder how close he is. Guess what? James Harden. Oh, yeah. Right now, as of this moment, go look him up. As I did the other day, I think it was like a 10 or 12 difference in favor of the free throws. Wow. Now, he could have altered that in the last couple of days. But that he's right there on the, on the brink. James Harden. Boy, it tells you a lot about his game, doesn't it? Wow. And now with the new rules, they're trying to take that out. I know. Well, they're trying to take it. Yeah, they're taking a, a big big part of his game was that was that the up fake and lean and jump into you. And I walked the line and you and you go away crying. But they're trying to take that away. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is amazing. See, I learned something every single time <laughs> I talk to you or hear you speak. Well, I'm impressed you know that 92846. That's a good one. I like that. AD, right, former Jasmine. I, I, I got the flip side for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a number. Okay. A flip side number, and you tell me which Hall of Famer accomplished the, the, this, this box score. 30-4-64. 34-64. Is it – give me an era. Uh, 60s and 70s. Ooh, okay. All right. My, that, that might be my hole. <laughs> <laughs> a little young, little, uh, okay. little on the younger side. Okay. Uh, let's Ready? go Oscar. I don't know. No, that's uh, Oscar. Yep. No, I'll tell you who it is. Rick Barry. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, on Rick me. Rick Barry. That's, well, no, that's a hard one. I don't know. But that, that's one of my, that's my favorite. Uh, those two box scores are my, they're my two favorite box scores. That's on me. Uh, Rick Barry. Yeah, I could see that. 34, 68, you yep. said? 64. Yeah, 64. No, no threes. Just before the three. Yeah. And he did, when the, they put the three in, he had three-point range. But uh, they could put the three in 79, 80, but he was just about ready to, I think he had one more year. But uh, uh, yeah, 30 field goals, four free throws, 64. Yeah, that's that, that's that's the flip side of nine twenty eight forty six. That's flip side of the record. <laughs> See, you learn something every time. Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe, his latest scribe, my life in sports is available wherever wherever books are sold. Bob Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time. You are welcome. thing I say, JP, is I won't be around for a hundred. <laughs> I uh, hope you are. I hope you're still writing by then. Well, I'll be 97, so you'll be around, but I won't. Uh, to a certain extent, this was easier. I remember 50 being very difficult because you were kind of starting from nothing. So here, I didn't do this. I stupidly, I started going alphabetically. Oh, there's Abdul Jabbar, Nate Archibald. And I started doing it that way. That was stupid. I should have gone to the 50 because you had 50 in place. And could you argue, look at that list and say, do any of them deserve to be, uh, this is such a harsh thing, deserve to be cut off or would you be willing to cut off any 50? 
Now, the number of arguments I had or discussions I had with other voters centered on, I mean, my friend David Dupree, who covered basketball for USA Today for years, and we had many times in Utah together. David argued, I, how are you going to cut 50 guys? They didn't do anything wrong. They're on the team. They got to make it. I didn't have that argument. I said, if I find 26 players after 1996, you know, I'm going to cut one. And it turns out that I, I did. Uh, I don't, the fact that all 50 survived doesn't bother me. And I cut one of my favorite players of all time, Billy Cunningham, just because I started looking at longevity and Billy only, Billy got injured as did a lot of these guys. And according to how you rate longevity, I ended up uh, cutting Billy. So, you know, I hate to admit that and I'm glad he still made it. The next thing you, that I did then was to find the 25 players or 24, whatever, 26, whatever it was gonna be, going through all NBA teams. Mm -hmm. Because I find that a little bit more of a reliable barometer than all-star teams. Uh, Chris Bosh, who, you know, I wouldn't have cared if he made the team. He didn't, right? Chris didn't make the 75, did he? He did not, no. No. Chris was on 13 all-star teams. It was like 12 or 13 all-star teams. But he didn't fare as well when people were writing, uh, voting all NBA teams. So I would say I counted that heavily. Next thing you have to weigh was how long the really new players had to be in the league to be around. The controversy the first time was Shaq. Yep. Because Shaq had only been in the league four years, I think. Shaq came in in 92, 93, 94. Yeah, Shaq made it after four years. That's pretty ridiculous. But it was the right you know, call. It was but right it was call. a good call. I mean, Shaq was obviously going to reset the center position so you know that included guys like Giannis hey the guys won two MVPs and he, he won the championship he's on Luka Doncic who obviously I'd rather watch than almost any player in the league yeah not quite enough years you know so um a lot of this is subjective obviously and if people said what do you mean Doncic's going to be there? Well, my reasoning was, well, he'll be on the next one. If he maintains this, uh, he's going to be on the next one. So Damian Lillard might be on the next one. So the idea that this is not partly subjective is like crazy. Of course it's, of course it's subjective. So there were some tough choices, uh, but that's why we have sports, right? So we can argue about stuff. And lists are perfect for that. So it is it is perfect fodder for people who like arguing about sports. I think, if anything, the league does an awesome job of including legends past into what they're doing now. I didn't think that I would be watching Earl the Pearl Monroe highlights on YouTube this week, but I did. It was a lot of fun to do that. That was a legacy. That's one of the – I'm not saying Adam wouldn't have done it. Adam Silver wouldn't have done it. But that is one of the things that David Stern mm -hmm. realized. And he personally got a lot of these guys invested in coming back, particularly a guy like Bill Russell. Bill had been uh, alienated 
for want of a better word, from the game. Those guys didn't make as much money. They didn't get as much recognition. And one of the things Stern realized, he created this kind of family idea that, you know, one generation flows from the other. He's had mistakes in that and inabilities to, you know, maybe connect Oscar Robertson to the game as much as he wanted. But I think these guys now, the guys that I covered, to the extent that they want to be, we all know that John, John right. Stockton is not volunteering himself to come to every, but to the extent they want to be, Michael, Magic, Larry, Isaiah, Neek, Worthy, all those guys, Carl, uh, to the extent they want to be connected in this NBA, they will be connected. John and Carl mentioned them already. I like hearing stories about them because they were on that dream team. And even though John wasn't involved in the greatest basketball scrimmage that ever was, Carl was. And he was going up against the best player at his position, Charles Barkley, at the same time. Where did they measure up to the best players in their position during their era, John and Carl? Oh, I mean, you, you could have John and Carl kind of go down. This is strange because everybody in the world knows them and they created sort of this symbiotic relationship. They probably go down as a little underrated. And I say this for this reason. Carl had to go up against Charles. And Charles's personality, volatility, his protracted stay in the NBA as a cultural figure, he's still one of the three most important voices in the game, as silly as those voices sometimes might be. And I had a part in the book, Carl will probably kill me if he still listens to this, but who was better? Who, who at their height was better? Who would you have picked if you went back? Well, anybody with a brain would have picked Carl. He gave it to you over 22 seasons or whatever the hell it was. He played 80, 81 or 82 games every night. Charles didn't. But was Charles at the time, Charles, at the time Charles was great and Carl was great, I probably would have said Charles was, you know, this much better. At the time, John's the same thing. John was the same guy in 1984 that he was still playing kind of the same position that he was in 2002 at relatively the same. He's still way ahead, I believe, in assists and steals. I mean, his numbers are unbelievable, but because they were such a symbiotic duo, do you think of Isaiah at his most spectacular being better than John? You know, you, prob you probably do. And I remember one of the things that Jordan said to me when I was doing my interviews for the Dream Team book was how he went to school with all these guys. He learned what made David Robinson tick and what made uh, this guy tick. And one of the things he said kind of coldly was that Carl Malone uh, needed John Stockton, that he mm -hmm. couldn't play. He didn't say he couldn't play, but however he put it, 
he put it kind of coldly that he needed John. And so they go down for each other as this incredible duo, but individually as a reputation. I think it might, you know, fans can't see this. I'm putting my fingers an inch apart. It might have hurt them that much in terms of rating them as individual players, despite the fact John's prodigious lead in assists and steals, and Carl still number two, right, in scoring. Two. Not, I mean, LeBron's probably going to pass him, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but how, how do you argue with those totals, the incredible totals they build up? But you do, you think of them together. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And playing their entire career minus that one year for Carl with the Lakers in 04, they played their entire year together. What was that interaction with John like for the Dream Team, knowing that he had battled through injuries during that entire run to Barcelona? Very, very, very difficult. Um, when he got John, people forget John got hurt early. John got hurt in Portland in the second game, I think, right? The second qualifying game. I think they were playing Canada. And there was so much going on that, I, as I recall it, nobody exactly knew what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, and plus the fact they didn't, quote, need John. I mean, they didn't need anybody. John wasn't the only one they didn't quite need. They needed Jordan. They needed Pippen to play people, and they needed a center. You know, they needed a center. <laughs> Beside that, it wasn't like, oh, my God, he's hurt. It just, it just didn't make any difference. So John got kind of – that injury got kind of overlooked. Within the team, however, it was a big deal because they really needed to decide whether they needed to replace him. And I didn't realize what a big deal it was until years later when I did my interviewing for the book. I didn't realize this in 1992 because eh, John's injured, uh, you know, means Pippen moves more to the point or Magic will get more minutes than he probably would have. But later on, I found out that really John took it extremely seriously. Don't effing put me off this team, Chuck Daly. You know, don't do it, man. And Chuck took it seriously because I might really need a guy. Chuck was a tradition. He wasn't coaching a traditional team, but he was looking at it in a traditional way. I need 12 guys, man. I don't know what I'm going to face. Maybe Magic gets in foul trouble. So what do I do? I got this Isaiah Joe Dumars problem, you know, within the team. I didn't query everybody on this, but they wanted John to stay because they did not want Isaiah. Carl didn't want him. Charles didn't want him. Scotty didn't want him. God knows Michael didn't want him. And so it was really a big deal, but yet I didn't realize it enough at the time. I don't remember talking to John about it. And it kind of surprised me when I was doing the research for the book, what kind of a big deal it was and how relieved John was when it didn't happen. And probably how relieved Chuck was when he got talked into the fact that, Hey, 
you don't need to replace them. Well, let's just go on here. And I'm, I'm very happy that uh, John got back and, and got his minutes and got the experience that he did. Well, and no matter the feelings of, of those players on Isaiah, there's the beautiful story in the book of Zeke calling uh, John's dad uh, about the selection and him having that gracious moment together of not trying to pit them both against each other, even though there were two camps, I'm sure as fans, especially now when you talk about uh, Isaiah and John Stockton online on Twitter, you're either a Stockton guy or, or an Isaiah guy. That that was a beautiful moment that they had uh, in accepting the fate of, of what the dream team chose. That the Isaiah question and whether Jordan Michael kept him off and whether uh, John or Isaiah should have made it. I cannot believe the life that that has. I mean, you know, I wrote that book. I almost wish I'm, I'm tired. I'm sick of hearing myself talk about it. I got to be honest. <laughs> I'm sick of myself. I'm sorry. I'm talking about it. I'm sorry it happened that way. But within John and Isaiah together, that could have been a really brutal argument because, as we remember, Carl knocked the, uh, you know, knocked the crap out of Isaiah. You know, the stitches. With a, with a dirty play. Isaiah went in there to show up uh, John. But to use the cliche at the end of the day, they were two players. And the way they handled it, John having Isaiah represent him, Isaiah making that call. And I'll, I'll just never, now, did John go out of his way to talk about Isaiah because of making the team over him? I mean, John would never admit that, obviously, but probably. But one of the first stories he told me for the Dream Team book when I went to see him out in Spokane, I, and I guess I had never heard it before, was going in to play this game, uh, this AAU game, when his team from Spokane made it to Chicago. And they just had this kid, Isaiah, take over. And it struck me as very honest, because we all have those moments, whether you obtained a great thing like John did, or whether you were a, you know, a mediocre high school, one-year college player like I was, you have these moments when you run into somebody when they're so much better than you that you're thinking, why the hell am I playing this game? And it was really honest of John to talk about that Isaiah was that guy for him. And I'm sure that's sort of the, the standard that he took when he got into the league. He couldn't, he didn't play like Isaiah, but I'm sure that remained in his mind and their, uh, their relationship uh, was very, complex and i do feel sorry as much as i think isaiah brought some of this on himself and here i am talking about it again i do feel sorry that isaiah got pushed into this position as basically the guy who was left off the dream team and that to a certain extent is a little bit of his legacy and for john he's the guy that got put on the dream team <laughs> you know, and stayed. I wish we could have taken Leitner off 
and uh, you know, maybe had both of them, but the tenor of the times that was not going to be. What is the indelible Carl and John memory for you playing in the NBA beyond beyond Dream Team, beyond uh, them having that success in the Olympics? I just love to see their uh, relationship together because when you come when you came to Utah to do a story. <laughs> You never knew exactly what the hell Carl was going to say, according to what Moody was in or the contract situation. On the other, and you never kind of, and you always knew what John was going to say. <laughs> so, but I'll just, I'll just never forget that their relationship and how they kept it going. Had they been any other place in, except for Salt Lake, there's a couple other places, but had they been in New York City? where day after day, question after question would be, who's more important to your relationship? Is it more important for John to get you the ball or wouldn't John be anything if you didn't finish on the fast break <laughs> and, and all this kind of stuff? But they survived there as this synergistic team, getting frustrated, getting Jordaned every, you know, for basically for a decade as did many other players. And they did it without uh, undue controversy, without one undermining the other. And they both earned their uh, reputations as, uh, you know, two of the great, you know, really great players on the team. And I always enjoyed uh, dealing with them. And you threw in Jerry Sloan, who was liable to say, uh, liable to say anything. I just got to say one final note about John. I remember toward the end of his career, I went in to kind of do the epilogue on Stockton. Kind of the final, this is the final season. We were in Dallas. And, oh, I was doing a story on Jerry, is what I was doing. And I said to him, I was watching it last night, and there was a half-court situation where you still looked over at Jerry. Are you still looking over at Jerry to call a play on what's kind of a predictable offense anyway and john as well as he knew me uh knew that he could have given a funny answer said well why wouldn't he? he's the coach and that was john's that was john's answer to me after dealing with him for like 20 years or something yeah yeah he's the coach of course i looked over at him and that's uh that's my epitaph for john stockton well, we appreciate you uh, speaking that epitaph into existence for us here on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. I do hope you're around for NBA 100 uh, so that you can impart some knowledge. Yeah, I won't be voting, but I hope I'm around too.